This morning's scripture reading is John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, but you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing our study in John's gospel this morning, and I am delighted to pick up where we left off. The last time we were together, we talked about the fact that nobody was like Jesus. There's nobody like him. Nobody has authority like Jesus. When you look at what he does, you see that play out in the gospels. When you look at who he is, you recognize that nobody deserves honor like Jesus. Nobody has power like Jesus. Just listen to what he says, and nobody holds eternity in their hands like Jesus does. One day, we will all stand before him. Today, you just heard Isaac read that passage to finish out chapter 5, and it's a transition piece. Chapter 6, some action starts happening. The scene changes. He's no longer in this uh, hard, terse discourse with Pharisees and religious rulers. He is among the people. We'll see miracles done, big ones, in front of people. And word begins to get out quickly and spread and crowds begin to gather. It's an amazing thing to see. This morning, though, I want us to look at the text and finish out chapter 5 with this thought, believe on Jesus. Believe on Jesus. C.S. Lewis was writing to a dear friend who had rejected Christ and was considering atheism. And he said, if Christ was not God, who or what was he? The doctrine of Christ's divinity, divinity seems to me not something stuck on, but something that peeps out at every point of the New Testament so that you have to unravel the whole web to get rid of it. And if you take away the Godhead of Christ, 
what is Christianity all about? I have an answer, nothing. If you take away the deity of Christ, Christianity is about nothing. There's no Christian faith, there's no gospel, there's no forgiveness of sin, and there's no lover of our souls. Praise the Lord, we weren't left to wonder who Jesus really is. This past week I was uh, in LDS country. I was spending time in Idaho Falls and I'll have a few more days there this week teaching and training Christians, equipping them to make disciple-making disciples of their neighbors and the nations. And one of the things that we learned is that, um, as you, many of you well know, everybody seems to have a picture of their own Jesus. And, and the Mormon church has a picture of a Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of this Bible. A 12-year-old boy attended the classes, and at the end of week two, his family, a Mormon family, had dropped him off to check this thing out. And at the end of it, he basically was quoting scripture he hadn't read when he said, you know what, the Jesus that I knew about doesn't have the authority like the Jesus this Bible has. I need to know more. I need to know more. Some 50 children said yes to Jesus in the past two weeks for the first time wanting to reach their friends with the gospel, but they'd never heard the gospel without all the additives and all the stuff we stick onto it. When you strip it down and get to the simple message that affects everything, even the way you read this Bible, it's this, believe on Jesus. We weren't left to wonder about who Jesus really is. There are multiple witnesses in our text this morning we're going to listen to and multiple benefits that we're going to see. The first thing I'd have you write down, you've got two headers this morning. One is reliable witnesses, and the other is real-life consequences. So the reliable witnesses we want to take note of. Verse 30 and 31 are transition verses. Uh, He's pointing out that um, if he is the only one that bears witness of himself, the way Jewish culture works, um, the Jewish culture is such that they wouldn't receive his testimony. When Jesus said that, did you find it odd when he said that? He said... um, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 31, look at the text in your Bibles. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now there's a verse you can't take out of context. Because if you just set that down, you said, see, Jesus told lies. That's not at all. That's not at all what's happening there. He's acknowledging that with the Jewish leaders around him, if he doesn't have multiple witnesses to give proof to his claim, then they won't hear him and they won't believe him. They would see it as an arrogant claim of self-exaltation. Uh, they, they've had people claim they were prophets before that weren't. We still have that today. They had people claim to be the Messiah that certainly were not. He's not seeking an independent self-seal of approval. There are others that he points us to right here in the text that give testimony to who he is. The, most people, then and now, like certain things about Jesus. You've got friends and family member who, who don't walk with God, but they like certain things about Jesus. They like how he loved people. They like how he helped the poor. They love how he opened blinded eyes. He was concerned. They love his humanitarian efforts. They, they love that he was a peaceful uh, revolutionary against the establishment. Uh, they love that he died even as a martyr for a, a cause that he cared about. He died uh, because he loved. Well... None of those are really good, complete pictures of who he is. What we believe about Jesus matters. 
But what you believe about Jesus has no bearing on who he actually is. And he told us who he was in his word. We don't have to think so, hope so, maybe so, figure out some kind of crazy idea about who Jesus is. He tells us, I'm truly God and I'm truly man. And I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus reveals himself and he points to witnesses that made the case for him. The first one, if you're taking notes this morning, is John the Baptist. He comes up a lot, doesn't he? He should. Jesus said, there's another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Verse 33, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not, not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John's testimony appointing to Christ was so that people might be saved. What was John's testimony about Christ? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. People like certain things about Jesus, but don't start with me about sin. Don't tell me I have a need that only Jesus can meet. Well, then I've got to close this and put it away. If, if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to follow him on his terms. John the Baptist was preaching the Messiah. They liked that message. They were excited about the dawning of a messianic age. They were excited about the potential to put down the Roman Empire. But when Jesus appeared in a manger instead of a palace, when he rides to town on a donkey instead of a white horse and chariot, uh, they didn't like that as much. He didn't fit their image of what the Messiah should be. But John was still a faithful witness. And if the only message that we heard John say was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven. He was like a broken record. Ashley uses a phrase sometime when some of our kids keep saying the same thing over and over. She said, Is your needle stuck, honey? We recognize they have very little context for that. Now Chase has become a collector of albums and has a, a record player. Things that are old or new again. It's a wonderful day. John was a faithful witness. Almost a broken record, but a faithful witness. Jesus then mentions the works of God. That's the second witness he mentions in verse 36. He says, the testimony that I have is greater than John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Nobody could do the works that Jesus was doing. Oh, you have illusionists. I mean, what's his name? I forget the magician's name. Made the Statue of Liberty disappear. That was something to see on that TV special. You've got illusionists. You've got folks that claim to have magical powers and stuff. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about illusion. We're talking about real miracles. We're talking about the miracle working power of God. And there's never been, nor will there ever be, never will there be another miracle worker like Jesus. The handful of miracles up to this point are few. But they're enough that he said, the works that you've seen me do prove, and they bear witness that I am exactly who God claims that I am. Jesus points to his validation, we're about to see the miracle working ratchet up quite a bit in chapter 6. That starts next week. But Jesus says, the works I've already done are witnesses. The next thing he points to is God the Father. In verse 37, Jesus says uh, in verse 37, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. God the Father. This one stung the hardest. Probably for them. 
Take your Bibles and just look back in the same chapter, chapter 5, verse 17. I'm sorry, I keep thinking I can move around. I can't this morning. Uh, Verse 17. If you look at verse 17 in chapter 5, it won't be on the screen. Remember when I preached that to you? The, uh, the religious rulers were giving him a hard time because he had healed somebody on the Sabbath. And then Jesus said to them in verse 17, he said, My father is working until now, and I am working. And they lost their collective minds. Like they were ready to kill him on spot because he said, My father, not our father. He was claiming some kind of special relationship with the father that they didn't have. It's exactly what he had because he is a part of the triune God God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, These are witnesses that I am who I said I am. Finally, he points to the scriptures in verse 38 and 39. He says, you don't have this word abiding in you because if you really believe the Bible, you would know who I am. Now, keep in mind, he's talking about the Old Testament here. Like, let's process that for a moment. He's like, I read that as a young Christian. I'm going, of course, the Gospels and I mean, come on, Acts and all. Yeah, the Bible points to Jesus. I mean, they're called the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Then you go, you have an aha moment as I don't want to tell you how old I was when I had that aha moment, but I was older than I should have been when I realized, oh, wait a minute, he's talking about the only Bible they had access to, which would have been the Old Testament. And he said, those speak of me. If you've got a right view of Scripture, then you're looking at me. Let me say that again. If you've got a right view of Scripture, you're looking at Jesus. He's clearly teaching that it always points to him. Without Jesus, we will turn the Scripture into something it's not. And without the scripture, we'll turn Jesus into something he's not. Both work together. Now, this is a pretty impressive pedigree of witnesses. You've got John the Baptist. You've got the works of Jesus, God the Father, and the word of God. All of this is pointing to the reality that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Let me just take a pause for a moment and recognize it's 2023. It's Mother's Day on 2023, and all across the region, folks are preaching some uh, probably incredible, wonderful, feel-good messages about moms. All across the region, people are preaching series on how to have a happier marriage and how to be a better businessman, how to do all those things. Um, That's not what this desk is for. This desk is for preaching the Word of God and letting it stand on its own, and we work through it systematically and let it speak for itself. You may be wondering, though, And you're not wrong to wonder, Pastor Chad, what impact does this real witnesses about Jesus have on my everyday life? It's a legitimate question. But I would say it begs two bigger questions from me back to you. Is there anything in your life more important than your relationship with Christ? And before you say yes, we have to look carefully at how we live this thing called life. We have to look carefully at how we devour all of the information that comes our way and spend so little time in the precious word of God. So I ask again, is there anything more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there any person more important in your life than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the lover of himself, the lover of your soul, rather? We've got to guard against apathy and indifference to the deity of Christ we got to be careful saying stuff like, you know what, none of this really matters just as long as I said a sinner's prayer, right? Wrong. It matters. 
What we believe about Jesus shapes our everyday life. It shapes the way we love others. It shapes the way we understand the Bible. And I'm coming to all of that in just a moment. There are real life consequences to the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Real life stuff that should affect you every day. And if it doesn't affect you every day, then I would suggest maybe a basic uh, some basic time in spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible every day, faithfully reading through a reading plan. The church has one. I love talking with you throughout the week, those of you that message and, and send notes and will stop me from time to time and say, man, this week's text was amazing. And we, we share that together. It's beautiful in God's word. A reading plan is great. Time in prayer, not just giving God a list of things to do, but, but asking God to help you understand his word. And... and Focusing on your mission, which is to publish the name of Jesus to the ends of the age. We believe on Jesus. When we believe on Jesus, like the Bible says we should believe on Jesus, Jesus gives us some things that it will affect in our lives. Number one, it will revolutionize our understanding of Scripture. When we believe on Jesus, like the Bible says to believe on Jesus, it will revolutionize your understanding of Scripture. Let's look at the text, verses 38 through 40. What does the word say? And you don't have this word abiding in you, for you don't believe on the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Wow. You really can't grasp the scriptures without Christ grasping you. You, you can't get in the word until he gets into you. I'm just telling you, the Pharisees thought they had a total grasp and understanding on scriptures. But there's no way they did if they are minimizing Jesus. I want to tell you something. <laughs> if you are minimizing Christ in your spiritual life, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. There's no way they did. The Pharisees were convinced of their righteousness because they had a head knowledge and they had academic achievements, and they lived in this echo chamber of self-congratulatory Pharisees patting one another on the back and saying, great sermon. Oh, wow, what fantastic teaching. And nobody could understand anything they were talking about. They were all wrapped up in themselves, speaking a language that nobody could hear. And it was a language that did not point to Christ. It led them to some very eccentric behaviors. The Jews actually had this very superstitious reverence about the word of God. You see, the Pharisees regarded the actual parchment and ink as though it had eternal life. You've got the Jews with this eccentric and strange behavior about the way they would bathe anytime they would write the word Yahweh and, and all of these. Like we read that now and we're like, praise God, that it's still weird. Like the Bible didn't command them to do that. Some rabbi came up with that and said, this is what we need to do as a sign of reverence to God. Now, I, I want to confess, we've benefited from that because we've got some of the best preserved copies of original manuscripts of any historical work ever, period, the end. That's undisputable. I mean, that's, that's already settled. So I'm thankful for some of that, but still, they had this unhealthy reverence for the parchment and ink as though that were part of God himself. The Bible is not the fourth part of the Trinity. I love God's word. I'll never do anything to diminish God's word. But, but sometimes we can get caught up in this version and that version and this thing and that thing. Y'all remember version wars from years ago? 
you know, you'd ride by a church and it would say, uh, this version only, right, out on the thigh. You know, you never saw one that said the message only. I've always wondered about that. You just never saw a, a church that said that. The Jews had this weird behaviors. We benefited from that, but I want to tell you something. You can idolize um, what I would call academic theology. You can become so in love with your degrees and so in love with your high-mindedness that you become unteachable and you actually remove yourself from being accessible to the very people that the Lord would have you to impact. Gotta be careful. Their understanding was off because they didn't have Jesus. Even today, people make major missteps with scripture. They fail to see Jesus in the scripture because they misunderstand the purpose of the Bible. The Bible was not written simply for our information. The Bible was written, God revealing himself to humanity in a language we can understand so uh, that we could experience the transformation that God has called us to. God wants to make you new. He wants to put his word in you so that when you open your mouth, you're, you're basically just quoting scripture all the time. That's a win, by the way. Yeah, you'd be a weirdo, but you'd be the right kind of weirdo. Some people think the Bible is just the book of ancient tales, and they treat it that way. Some people think the Bible is just the book of moralistic lessons. Some people think it's just a driver's manual for life. Some people think it's this secret code. It's a book of secret codes. You've got to have a little a decipher pen to check out everything. On the extreme side, people search the Bible for hidden messages and try to dis discover and decipher some kind of crazy numerology. You got a friend like that? If you don't, I've got some I'll loan you. I've got some friends, you say something, that was a special passage day and such, a, and you know that's the number seven, and God's number seven, and 49, and 26, and 30, and I'm going, is this, what am I doing? Are we on, are we being, am I being punked right now? What is going on? You've got folks that write fiction, and they're good fiction writers, I'm saying this, I'm not going to name any names, but you've got good fiction writers that write today, and the church is so enamored with numerology, they say, oh, they're modern day prophets. No, they're not. They're not. Be careful who you latch yourself onto, what you read too much of. Well, that's one extreme, a much less extreme that happens in pews all over Charlotte. Not Grace Covenant, of course. But you've got friends that do this. They see the Bible as just a book of inspirational nuggets to help them through the day. None of you treat it like chicken soup for the soul. But some people do. If you're a Christian and you read the Bible while missing the point, you're going to struggle with confusion. You're going to struggle with discouragement, frustration, ineffectiveness, and you're going to even become stagnant in your faith. We need to guard against being distracted by secondary concerns. A church should be defined by its commitment to Christ, not personal preferences. Christians must be vigilant to help one another, hear me church, keep the main thing the main thing. And that takes work. It's hard work to keep it simple. The main thing, what is it? Oh, you're about to give us your opinion. I'll give you what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've determined to know nothing else among you. 
Believing on Jesus will revolutionize our understanding of Scripture. Believing on Jesus the way the Bible tells us to is evidence of our, number two, love for God. Verses 42 and 43. But I know that you don't have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you would receive him. What an indictment. You can't love God properly by minimizing Jesus. And you also can't love Jesus properly by minimizing God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Mark, I made a note here. There was a man that came into church one Sunday visiting, just walked in off the street. And Mark had a chance to, whenever we have folks that just show up sometimes from our homeless neighbors... Mark, and some of the rest of you will engage as well, but Mark typically engages them, talks to them about their soul. And he was talking to this one fella, and I don't remember, it was a year ago or two years, but the guy said he was all right with Jesus, but he had a beef with the Father. Do you remember that? He said, I don't like, he crucified his son. What's wrong with him? And I'm thinking, yeah. And Mark, in a very winsome and spirit-led way, I'm saying that by faith, I wasn't, I didn't hear it, it probably wasn't, but anyway. That's what I wrote in my notes. That's what we'll keep on the record. Mark, in a very spirit-led and winsome way, uh, but in no uncertain terms, communicated, no, it doesn't work that way, according to God's word. You can't take one and dismiss the others. It's a package deal. Jesus says, you'll literally engage and submit to just about anybody but me. Now, he's saying that to these religious rulers. He's saying, you'll believe anything from anybody else but me. Surely that's not us. Surely we won't respond with vim and vigor to the first piece of advice we get from some nut job on social media or some video we watch. Surely we won't dive in head first, but then be reticent to obey the word of God. Surely that's not the church. Surely we'll jump when Jesus says jump. We won't even say how high. We'll just be midair and say, put me where you want to put me. God is not asking to be your co-pilot. He wants the keys. You belong in the trunk. Let him drive and take you where he wants you to go. And then he'll drop you off and say, get to work. I've given you everything you need to do to glorify me. Jesus says you'll engage with others but not me. If you're not in step with the Father, you are out of step with Jesus. If you're not in step with Jesus, you are out of step with the Father. It is a package We don't get to minimize Jesus to think we're going on to deeper and greater things. Number three, believing on Jesus, as the scripture says, reshapes our worship of God. Some of you have come to such a high knowledge, you've forgotten how to worship. John 5, 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Without Jesus as the center of your life, the hub of your prayer life, the hub of your witnessing, the hub of your time in the word, the hub of your time in fellowship, without Christ as the center, I promise you this, the Bible says, Jesus just said it, you will misplace God's glory. You will give it to things it doesn't belong to, and you will take it when people offer it to you. boy! What a word. Ooh. Congratulations. What a great work you've done. I know. Have you met me? I'm pretty awesome. Hyperbole. But all of it stinks of pride. We'll give it to the wrong people and things. We'll take it. For ourselves, the Pharisees were really good at this or really bad at this, however you want to say it. 
The Pharisees, church leaders, can do the same thing. They're easy to point out. I mean, we can see some church leaders that say things, and you go, like, nah, they shouldn't say that. They shouldn't talk like that. But can I tell you that in pews all across this nation, watching online right now, it can happen among us every day. God said, don't put anything else above me in your life. I think that should be reflected in our calendars, in our consumption, and in our conversations. But I'm an old school guy. Don't try to create something that you will give your heart to. Don't make any other graven images before me. Don't create something that you'll give your heart to. Don't uh, do anything but this, the Shema. Love me, God says, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then Jesus comes along and says, you can't do that without me, but I want to help you do it in a way that glorifies God. We worship Jesus. We worship God. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. When you believe on Jesus the way the Bible tells us to, it's not just a one-time thing at salvation. It's an everyday thing that affects every part of your life. I know you believed on Jesus and were saved, but does your day-to-day reflect that you believe, present tense, on Jesus Christ? Lastly, and you could really start here and work your way back. Believing on Jesus, as the scripture says, is the only thing that impacts our standing before God. Look at the last bit of the text here in verse 45. He picks up and says, Don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? He's not pulling any punches here. He knows what the Pharisees value over his word. He knows what these religious rulers think is the most important. And so he takes that thing and says, that points to me. And and if you think you can do that without me, you're wrong. And it's going to show up on judgment day. The only hope that the Pharisees had, the only hope that the other religious rulers had, the only hope that the Jewish people in Jesus' day had, the only hope that the Gentiles had that day, the only hope that they would have to be able to stand on the right side of Judgment Day was to believe on Jesus. Remember, Jesus said in John 3, let me turn there real quick, famous verse, John three sixteen. context is king, look at what it is, John three sixteen. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus was talking to men and women who were already condemned. He was trying to rescue them. He's trying to rescue you this morning. You stand condemned. One day the judgment declaration will be read, but if you are not in Christ, if you've not believed on Jesus, as the Bible says, you stand condemned. The only hope that we have on judgment day is to believe on Jesus. And I want to say something to you this way in the Christian life. I think the only hope that we have at having a shot at a day that glorifies God every day of the week is to make sure we recalibrate every day and say, Lord, I believe on Jesus. Every single day we need to cast ourselves totally on Christ 
It frames everything. It puts everything into perspective. If you can devour this word devotionally and somehow minimize Christ, you're looking at this wrong. These past two weeks, I mentioned some travel I've had as Julia will make her way back in to prepare for the response time. But I've had some travel and I've gotten to go through what I believe to be one of the most beautiful airports. That's a weird statement, isn't it? Really, it's one of the most breathtaking airports in the country, Salt Lake City. Um, it's breathtaking. Out of the windows, you look around and out of most of the windows, you can see the um, western range of the Rocky Mountains. There's a, a spot on one of the common areas in a new part they've just opened up with this bay window. So it kind of juts out and you can see uh, the runway Delta planes taking off and the line going. But behind there are mountains there. There's mountains there and snow-capped mountains everywhere you look. It's just remarkable. The Wasatch Mountain Range there, you can see for miles and miles. I want you to imagine, I would put a picture up, but as you know, because we compete with light in here sometimes, you'd be going like that. Not, you know, it would be distracting instead of helpful. I want you to, to imagine us being able to see this mountain range. And we're looking at it together, not saying a word. By the way, it's the only pot, spot in the airport where I see the least amount of people on their phones. Most people have tucked their phones. They've started doing this, and then they just put their phones away, and you see them just standing. Now, they could have Bluetooth in talking to somebody. I don't know, but it looks good. It's a nice romantic moment, right? Imagine you're standing there with me, and we're beholding that, and this little fellow walks up to us and pulls on my jacket and says, Hey, sir, sir, it's incredible, isn't it? And we go, Yeah, it is. And the little guy says, This is one of the most wonderful windows I've ever seen in my life. Windows? Do you see how it's set in the steel and the way the glass is angled and the chemical compounds of this glass are unlike any other window in the airport. And then he pulls out a tool. I don't know how he got it through TSA, but he pulls a tool out and, and he's scraping off the corner of the window and says, I'm going to send this off for a chemical anal analysis. Can I have your name and phone number? I'll send you the results and we can rejoice about what it's made of. Of course, you and I would go like, okay. And quietly step the other way. We would wonder, like, what in the world? That's so strange. He's missed the whole purpose of the window. He's missed it all. That window was created so that we could see the great beauty of the spectacular mountains that God had created around us. This book should drive you to God because you fall in love with the author. And if you're studying it in a way that it doesn't, that it's only scratching the intellectual itch. I'm telling you as your pastor, as a shepherd keeping watch over your souls, you're doing it wrong. Ask God to help you believe on Jesus in a way that it revolutionizes your understanding of Scripture. That it revolutionizes your love for God so that it's showing up all throughout your day. That it revolutionizes the way you worship God so you don't reserve it for a Sunday morning when the right song hits or the moment hits at a certain time. But every moment of the day, you catch yourself lavishing your love on the lover of your souls. And I want you to believe on Jesus so that you can stand on the right side of judgment because he's worth it. And he's calling us to a living relationship with himself.
I would have entitled this, A Study on the Deity of Christ. That's about the energy it would have deserved. God didn't say it that way. Believe on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to behold you. I love that song. I love that choice of words. It means to fix our eyes upon, to gaze as if seeing and discovering for the first time, to lose ourselves in the moment. We want to behold you. We want to believe on you in such a way that it infects others and affects every part of our day. We need you, God. We need you. Give us understanding into your word as we study on our own time. Lord, help us to taste and see that you are better. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen.